you recall the Old Testament episode where Joseph has been reunited with his family and finally his whole family comes down to Egypt. His father, Jacob, and all of the family come down to Jacob. Uh, Jacob and all the family come down to Joseph in Egypt. And Joseph presents them to Pharaoh. I want to read that with you in Genesis chapter 47. In Genesis chapter 47, beginning verse 5, Pharaoh spake unto Joseph, saying, Thy father and thy brethren are coming to Egypt. The land of Egypt is before thee, and in the best of the land make thy father and brethren to dwell. In the land of Goshen let them dwell. And if thou knowest any men of activity among them, then make them rulers over my cattle. And Joseph brought in Jacob his father and set him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Jacob, Pharaoh said unto Jacob, How old art thou? And Jacob said unto Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are a hundred and thirty years. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been, and have not and have not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. An interesting scene. It would have been something to be there and actually witness that encounter. But I want to call your attention to what Jacob said to Pharaoh. Now remember, Jacob's the old man. Jacob's the old father, the old patriarch of the family now. And Pharaoh asked him uh, how old he is. Pharaoh asked, how old are you, Jacob? And Jacob says, the years... This is verse 9. The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been and have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. At 130 years old, we would say that Jacob was really an old man. In fact, by our standards, he's an impossibly old man. People don't live that old. But he, he said that the, the days of my life have been few. Well, I suppose they were few in comparison to his forefathers. For instance, his father Isaac lived to be 180, and his grandfather Abraham lived to be 175. And so he's 130, and I I suppose, relatively speaking, or by way of comparison, he could say, the years of my life have been few. But what I thought was particularly interesting was, there he said, the years of my life have been few and evil. He acted like he had had lots of trouble in his life, full of trouble. Few day, I think other versions say that his days had been few and full of trouble. Jacob's life with trouble, well, yes, I guess we could say so, right? You you remember just a quick review of some of the things that happened in Jacob's life. Jacob's father was Isaac and his mother was Rebekah, but there was problem in that family from that outset. The father Jacob favored his son Esau. The mother Rebekah favored her son Jacob, and there was contention. Remember, there was always contention there. Uh, uh, it, it led to uh, Jacob, with the help of his mother, uh, deceiving the father to receive the family blessing. That made Jacob's brother so mad at him that he threatened to kill him. And so Jacob had to flee. He went to his, his mother's family back in their homeland, but he had trouble with his father-in-law. He married a, a, a couple of his uncle's daughters, 
uh, Laban, but Laban, he had all kinds of trouble with Laban and actually feared for his life. So he'd been, his life was threatened by his brother. He went back to Laban and before all was said and done there, he felt threatened by Laban. He comes back, he re, he's reunited with his brother, but fears before that reunion takes place, he fears for his life again. Uh, he, uh, his, his sons act out, uh, and he's afraid that the people of the, the nations around him will, will, uh, come and attack him, and so he fears for his life again. Uh, he has his own children, but because of his favoritism toward Joseph, there's more problem with his children. Uh, his children, uh, are full of envy and jealousy toward Joseph. They sell Joseph into Egypt as a slave. This, I'm just really trying to get a quick thumbnail picture of Jacob's life. He said his days were few and full of trouble. Few, I suppose, comparatively, but full of trouble. Where was my whole point in going through all of that quick history? Where was the trouble in Jacob's life anyway? It was with his family. The, his days were few and full of trouble, and almost all of the trouble that you could catalog that happened in Jacob's life was trouble with his family. Family trouble. Family trouble's a bad thing. But you know, families are trouble. There's lots of trouble in lots of families. And that's not, that's not something that, that went away, uh, back in times past when men like Joseph and Jacob lived. That problem continues and lots of families are troubled today. We want to talk about that because we think that the Bible has some answers that will help us build strong families and avoid some of the trouble that is so prevalent. Again, we're pointing out this is not a new thing. Families have been troubled way back into Old Testament times. We read of those troubles in families. But we can avoid a lot of that if we follow God's plan. We want to talk about that tonight. Before we get any further into that, we stop for just a minute to add to the words of welcome that Lee already extended. We're glad for everybody who's here and glad that you have an interest that brings you back on Sunday night. Uh, to spend time worshiping God and studying from His Word. Thanks for being here. We appreciate you all very much, and we're glad that you've come. If there's, uh, As always, if there's any questions about anything that is said or done, please let your questions be known. We're grateful for you all. Let's talk about making strong families. And what I want to do is review an old article I found in my files recently from Reader's Digest back a number of years ago, a couple of authors composed an article in Reader's Digest, and they said that they had discovered six secrets of strong families. And I put the word secrets there uh, sort of in quotations because they thought it was something that they had discovered, something secret that they had unearthed that helped to make families strong. But these things are not secrets at all because the things that they that they said they had discovered as keys for strong families were things that have been described in the, in the Bible all along. It, it's nothing new. God's Word has always been telling us that we should do such things if we want our families to do well. If we want to avoid family trouble like Jacob had. Uh, all that that we were talking about Jacob was just intended to illustrate the fact that people have had ongoing problems with family, and it dates way back in time. In the existence of man, there's been trouble with families. But we could avoid a lot of that if we simply followed the guidelines set forth in the Word of God. In that Reader's Digest article, the first of the things that they suggested as important for strong families is that there be a commitment 
to one another. That we really need to be committed to one another. And that commitment to one another needs to be a kind of thing that is known. Uh, I'm committed to my wife. I'm committed to my children. Uh, and, and no matter what happens, we're going to see this through. We're not going to throw the towel in, you know. Some, I think a lot of people approach their families, they approach marriage that way. That if things don't go to their liking, they just throw the towel in. Uh, they're not committed. And I tell you, if other family members know that the commitment doesn't exist, they're not going to try either. And if we're not trying, we're not going to make it. Because being strong families requires hard work. And you've got to be committed to it. And that commitment to that family needs to be well known. You know some of the statistics. The U.S. Census Bureau says that 50% of marriages in the United States end in divorce. If you were to break that down, that 41% of first marriages end in divorce, 60% of second marriages end in divorce, 73% of third marriages end in divorce. That's not, those are not very good statistics, are they? What they would indicate to us, surely, if nothing else, is the fact that people are not very committed to their marriages. We've got to be committed. God instituted marriage, and from the very beginning, uh, the permanency of that relationship was emphasized. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus was questioned about marriage. And in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4, Jesus said, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh? Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Jesus, when questioned about marriage, his initial response was to emphasize the important permanence of marriage. That's the way God wants it. That's what we've got to be committed to. If I didn't think my spouse was committed to our relationship, if I had to worry that she was going to bail out at the first sign of trouble, or vice versa, if she felt that I was just going to give up on it just as soon as there, there came a little trouble, you know, a little bump in the road, we would not have a strong family if we imagined that any little thing that came along could crash this relationship. We've got to know that we're in a committed family relationship, and we're not going to give up on it, and we're going to honor God's plan for the permanency of marriage. It needs to be that way. In the reading that Cole read for us earlier from Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, the apostle is talking about that marriage relationship, and it's not just husbands to wives and wives to husbands, it's also parents to children and children to parents. We need to, to be committed in our family relationship, children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Uh, so children un- need to understand that they have a duty in this matter. They're committed uh, in the family as well as the parents are. Um, in Second Timothy chapter 3. Paul describes a list of sins there in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, beginning at verse, well, really it begins in verse 1, and it talks about perilous times that were coming. Uh, he says, Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, 
truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good. Several of those things would probably be applicable to our discussion tonight, but I draw your attention especially to the idea of those who without natural affection. When parents and children don't have that natural affection that's supposed to exist in the family, we're in trouble. And in all of that, we just want to point out that if we want strong families, we've got to be committed to one another. Now, these authors who wrote this Reader's Digest article a few years ago, their names are Nick Stinnett, he's a professor of human development and family life at the University of Alabama, and John Dufresne, associate professor of human development and family at the University of Nebraska. Now, they think that they maybe have come upon some undiscovered truths, but they really haven't, have they? We understand the Bible teaches us to be committed in our families if we want strong families. A second point that they emphasized was the importance of spending time together. You, you know, lots of studies have been done about this, and it's pretty shocking when you break it down, what's going on in our families. We're not spending time with each other. When I say we, I'm talking about our, our population at large. Uh, people barely spend any time at all. Um, a, a new study, here's, here's something, some information I found. A new study found that the average family spends less than eight hours together per week. The average family spends less than half an hour of quality time dur- uh, together during the week with work schedules, chores, and school routines devouring most of their time together. Even when they are together. Seven in ten parents, seven out of ten parents say that the time is spent sitting in silence in front of the television, either reading, playing computer games, or just being too tired to talk. Uh, Can you imagine that? Does that sound, well, you know what, that probably sounds about right. And I hope that's not indicative of our families, but I do think it's indicative of a lot of families Families are just not spending any time together. How can we have a strong relationship with one another if we never spend any time together? When the Lord instituted that marriage relationship, we, quote, we, we read where Jesus quoted from that. In, uh, in We were looking at Matthew 19, but when Jesus made those statements in Matthew 19, he was referring back to the institution of marriage in Genesis chapter 2. And we've often pointed out in Genesis chapter 2, man was created, but woman wasn't created. And in verse 18, it seems that one of the primary reasons why woman was created was for companionship. Notice in Genesis 2 verse 18, the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And so, uh, the necessity of companionship was one of the critical needs that God fulfilled when he instituted the marriage relationship. And now it seems like people are imagining they can do without that. We don't need that companionship anymore. Well, yes, we do. Uh, we definitely do. And in that same Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, a man is to leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. They shall be one flesh. We need to have a... Uh, a strong sense of togetherness and spending time together. Back to Ephesians chapter 6 again. We were mentioning that just a minute ago, but one more verse from that text. In, in Ephesians 6 verse 4, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. If, if Fathers, if you're going to bring your children up, 
in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. I don't tell you, you're going to have to spend time with them to do that. That's not going to happen. You, you can't do that by proxy. You can't have someone else filling that role that God has assigned to you. That's your responsibility. And in order to do it, you're going to have to spend time with your children. Uh, there's lots of things that parents have to provide, but one of the things they have to provide is the investment of time in order to get the job done. We've got to spend time together. Again, this, the Reader's Digest said this, these were secrets. Like they just discovered this. There's, there's no secret to that. Your common sense would probably tell us that, but the Bible certainly has been telling us that we need to spend time together. Another thing that they pointed out in this article in Reader's Digest is that a, one of the secrets of a strong family is that the family expresses appreciation uh, for one another. That, again, uh, should not be, I think, too shocking of a discovery. Just, again, from common sense uh, and just from our own observations, let alone what the Bible says. I found this quote. Uh, marital and family researchers have discovered that unhappy family relationships are often the result of negative communication patterns. For instance, criticism, contempt, defensiveness. Uh, satisfied married couples had five positive interactions to every one negative interaction. Couples who are very dissatisfied with their relationships typically engage in more negative interactions than positive. It's important for family members to verbally compliment and encourage one another. Uh, that's Again, that's what you know, marital and family researchers have discovered. But again, I would argue that the Scriptures tell us to cherish our relationships together and to acknowledge uh, those things to one another. Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Um, it's interesting that that same context goes on to specifically, just a few verses later, beginning at verse 18 and 19 and 20, to talk about wives and husbands and children. And so, in the immediate context of being forbearing and forgiving, uh, uh, of being long-suffering with each other, uh, of showing charity, the family is mentioned. We need to express appreciation for one another. Uh, I think that uh, we should express that appreciation. I think God would expect that of us. God expects us to give Him thanks, to express our appreciation to Him in passages like Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. God wants us to express our appreciation to Him. And as, as we've talked about that in the past when we've discuss the subject of prayer. Why would we need to express appreciation to God? Surely God knows that we appreciate what He does for us. Why does He need to hear us expressing our appreciation? Well, He doesn't need anything from us, right? But He knows we need to express our appreciation. That's why He's commanded us to be thankful people, thankful toward Him, it's because that thankfulness is good for us. When we express that appreciation, it causes us to spend some time contemplating the value of what God has done for us. In the same manner, when we express appreciation for wives and husbands and 
children and parents, when we spend time expressing that appreciation for one another, it causes us to think about the value uh, and the preciousness of our family relationship. And so expressing appreciation, that's one of the secrets of a strong family. Uh, my guess is we can all do better in that, in that particular arena, and we should if we want strong families. The Bible has been telling us that we need to do that. Right along those same lines, I think, is the idea of communication. Uh, a breakdown of the first of the things we've been talking about. A breakdown in commitment, time together, and appreciation usually leads to a breakdown in communication. Uh, and so we stop talking to each other. Uh, and, and when we do stop talking to each other, then the thing sort of escalates. It snowballs. It gets worse, uh, and it gets worse faster. There in Ephesians chapter 6, where it says, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Don't provoke them to wrath. Uh, well, th- that would suggest the idea that we don't let it get to a point. Uh, we talk about it. We discuss it. We communicate with one another so that we don't... How does it say in the King James? It says, don't provoke to wrath. I think some other versions use the word distraction or frustration. No, we, no, we keep communicating this thing. We're going we're gonna to talk about it. We're going to make sure we've got it ironed out. We're going to communicate with one another. In 1 Peter chapter 3, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, Husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Uh, husbands, we are especially commanded there to dwell with our wives according to knowledge. Well, some of that knowledge, I'm not suggesting this would be exclusively, some of the knowledge that we're supposed to have in dwelling with our wives would be the knowledge that God reveals in His Word, I'm sure. But some of that knowledge would also be what we gain by communicating with our wives about what they like and dislike, what they need, and so forth. Communication is vital in any relationship, and it's important in our families. Uh, we've got to keep the communication going, or there's going to be a, a, a snowballing disaster, a train wreck, if you will, in the family. I've always thought about there, in, we were just reading 1 Peter 3, verse 7, uh, Husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. And he says, lest your prayers be hindered. Let not, that your prayers be not hindered. You know what? I've often uh, issued this challenge. You, you want to you see the validity of the statement there? Husbands and wives, have a big fight. Have words, as we say. You know, oh, they had words. And just as soon as you've had words, go sit down and try to word a prayer. It's, I, I'm going to tell you, it's, the next to, it's next to impossible to do that. Uh, so I think that what, what that's highlighting to us is we need to maintain our family relationships. We need to keep communicating with one another in positive ways because when that breaks down, it also affects even our ability to communicate with God. And so, uh, again, so important for strong families. The Bible's always been telling us this. These researchers at the University of Alabama and the University of Nebraska said they'd found out a secret about strong families was the idea of spiritual wellness. Now, 
spiritual wellness, I, I don't know that that means, I, I, that's sort of a trite expression that probably doesn't have a lot of, you know, uh, meaning unless somebody illustrates or explains what they mean by it. And here's what these fellows said in their article. In the idea, in the, in regards to the idea of spiritual wellness, they said, uh, uh, they illustrated it with a family. One family says, uh, our family has certain values, honesty, responsibility, and so forth, just to name a few. But we have to practice those in everyday life. I can't talk about honesty and then cheat on my income tax return. I can't yell responsibility and then turn my back on a neighbor who needs help. I'd know I was a hypocrite and so would the kids and everyone else. Now, that's what these researchers said when they were trying to explain what they meant by spiritual wellness. I believe what we would say there instead is being true to what we claim, living what we profess, and not being hypocritical, being genuine, being sincere in regards to our service to the Lord. You want strong families? Strong families will result when each family member is really trying to be a strong, sincere, genuine Christian and not being hypocritical in what they claim versus what they do. We often reference Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 24, about the commands that God gave to the children of Israel. Uh, now, we don't live under those same rules, but I think the same God and the principles of His dealings with us is the same. In Deuteronomy 6, 24, the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always that He may preserve us alive as it is this day. God gives rules for us to live by because He's no, He knows what's best for us. We need to live those rules and we need to be genuine, not hypocritical. Don't claim some, one thing and then do something else. Be genuine. But living by those spiritual values that God gives, so important. It's important for us individually, but it's also important for our families. And you parents with young children in your homes especially, I don't have to tell you that your kids learn by example a lot faster than they learn by words. And you can preach to them over and over and over about something, but all they need to do is see you just one time violating the principle that you were trying to instruct them about and all of the teaching that you did is negated by the one bad example that you set before. They see that hypocrisy and they learn from it better than anything else. And so we do need this. If that's what these authors meant by spiritual wellness, and I guess that's what they're saying, then we certainly need that. We need to be people who live our faith, who show it and demonstrate it, and especially parents who demonstrate their faith to their children. You want to have a strong family? you got to have that. You've got to have that element in your family. And then finally, the last of the things they pointed out was coping with crisis. And in this Reader's Digest article from a few years ago, they pointed out what we all know, and that is families do face crisis. There's not a family ever that's going to go on throughout their family life without having to deal with various issues. Uh, some of those issues are just things that happen, you know. Maybe a loved one gets sick or dies or uh, some other calamity befalls or maybe there's a financial crisis or an other issue of some kind or another. Those things happen. They, they happen to all men. To, they happen to 
bad people, but they happen to good people too. Uh, and there are all kinds of crises. And then again, there may be some crisis in which one or more family member lets down and doesn't live right and doesn't do the right sort of thing. All kinds of trouble comes in family. We started out by talking about Jacob's family. You know, when he went to Pharaoh, he said, I, I, my days have been few and full of trouble. That trouble that Jacob faced was trouble in the family that he had to deal with. We can avoid a lot of that trouble by living by God's rules, but we won't avoid all trouble because not all trouble is avoidable. I mean, there's going to be the issues of, you know, failing health and so forth. Those things, those kind of things come upon all men. We're going to have to deal with crisis in the family. How do we deal with crisis in the family? If we can maintain our true spiritual perspective on things, that this life is not the be-all and end-all, that we're actually looking for something beyond this life. If we can approach even the hard times in our family life with a spiritual perspective, we'll be able to succeed. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul said, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I don't think Paul was talking about family life there in specific at all. But that certainly has application to family life consideration. There might be some afflictions come our way. But they're light afflictions. They're just for a moment. If we allow them to, they can work in us to a uh, eternal glory. These things are temporal. What we're looking for is eternal. And that's the way we need to, to approach crisis when it comes to our families. And all families have crisis of one kind or another. But if we approach them with a spiritual perspective, we can have a strong family and we can succeed. Well, those are just some thoughts. I, as, as, as I came across that old article from Reader's Digest, I thought, these guys think they've come across something new, and it's not new at all. It's been around for a long, long time because it's in the Word of God. And the principles that they suggested are not original with them. Uh, God has been telling us those same sort of things all along. I just hope that a reminder for us all is, is of some value that will help us because uh, family trouble is bad trouble to have. Just like Jacob said, my days have been few and full of troubles. We don't want, we, we wouldn't want to have to say that at the end of our lives and describe trouble that we've had to face our families. Thanks for listening. We're going to end our lesson with a song of invitation. As we do this, we'll be encouraging everyone, think about your standing before God. If we can help you in making your life right with God, whether that means initially obeying the gospel, or coming back to God in repentance and confession. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing this song.